Welcome to VPG's Virtual Water Cooler Chat Podcast, where we share lessons and stories of women professionals to help empower other women and expand a greater circle of influence. So we walk our journey with those who understand and appreciate us. Today, we are going to chat with Sarah Cooksey. Sarah Cooksey is the supervising paralegal at the ACLU of Northern California. In this capacity, Sarah provides oversight, training, and mentorship to the legal professional team and operational support for the legal policy department. Additionally, she supports active litigation in the criminal justice space. Prior to joining the ACLU of Northern California, Sarah worked in civil and criminal litigation, transactional business law, and probate law. Most recently, she served as a supervisory paralegal and e-discovery technician at the U.S. Attorney's Office, where she supported complex civil and criminal litigation. During that time, Sarah was part of a small team that investigated two large U.S. banks for their role in the 2008 financial collapse. These investigations resulted in multi-billion dollar civil settlements, which included over $5 billion in relief to homeowners. Sarah also served multiple times as a subject matter expert, advising on developing evidence and technology standardization across several federal agencies, redefining federal legal job classifications, and implementing discovery standards across all U.S. attorneys' offices. Her work in criminal prosecution increased Sarah's passion for criminal justice reform, as she saw the many inequalities and systemic injustices from the inside. Check out our show notes and learn more about Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Thank God it's Friday. Thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to chat with us today on VPG's virtual border cooler chat. First thing first, can you tell us a little bit about Sarah and what makes you you? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, I'm very excited to chat with you this afternoon. And uh, the first thing I want to just share is anything that I say today or any opinions I have uh, are my own personal opinion. (laughs) They don't necessarily reflect the opinions of my current employer, which is the ACLU of Northern California, or any prior employers I might mention. Um, So I just want to make that caveat. And yeah, I'm just really excited to be here. And I think that at the core of who I am is my passion and desire for equality and justice. You know, that's true in my professional life uh, as a paralegal here, you know, or as a paralegal at the ACLU of NorCal, as well as in my personal life. That's something that I really strive towards is to make my community a better place. I want to make this world a more kind and loving place as much as is within my influence and in my capacity. I try to keep that at the forefront of what I do and the decisions I make is to leave the world better than I found it and to leave people better than I found them to make sure they feel uh, the love and kindness and compassion that that we all deserve as humans. Um, and I know that one thing that's really shaped who I am is my relationships with people. I am lucky to be married to my best friend for almost 20 years now. 
Uh, I have family, my sisters, my cousins who I'm really close with and, you know, long lasting friendships, amazing coworkers, <laughs> amazing colleagues. And that's a really big part of what has shaped me into who I am and, and teaching me how to love and have compassion and kindness and understanding. Um, and another thing that's really big part of me is my dogs <laughs> and the animals, who I've had in my life. Um, I think that, you know, animals teach us how to be better people. I know mine have taught me patience <laughs> and, and understanding and unconditional love. And I, I won't say my dogs are spoiled, but they are definitely well taken care of. <laughs> they definitely, uh, are, are well loved and, uh, you know, bring such joy to my life. And, I think the, you know, the last thing I just want to touch on is uh, really being able to have some creative outlets in my life makes me who I am. Uh, my job as a paralegal can be very technical, very analytical, you know, very brain heavy, um, some pretty heavy thoughts and analysis and having those outlets to just have fun and be silly and create art and crafts, even when they turn out badly <laughs> or the, the vision I had does not uh, end up being the finished product. I think just being able to tap into that creativity and and have fun and explore is is a really big part of, of who I am. Um, and experiencing live music just like refuels and recharges me. <laughs> being at concerts is like my, my happy place. You know, there's a, a million things that make us who we are, but I think those are kind of the big, big things that have played a role in my life um, into to who I am, kind of a, a bit of an understanding of what makes me me. Love the hair. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yes. Being able to express myself <laughs> with hey, colored hair. Self-expression is very important. <laughs> yes. Now we talk about like your creativity and outlet, the, your creative outlet, love of animal. Can you tell us a little bit about how did you choose to become a paralegal, paralegal supervisor, ACLU NorCal? And do you think that you are on the right path? And some people would actually say that I don't think that I am on a path, but this is a journey. So what what do you think that is a path or journey? Can you kind of shed some light on your own? experience? Yeah, definitely. I really like that illustration that um, it's a path or a journey like you you shared. And I definitely <laughs> can say that my path to working at the ACLU is a little bit unusual. Um, there have been some twists and turns along the way. And I do feel that it has been the right path for me. Um, I love where I'm at right now. I love what I do and who I work with. And um, I think like my journey taking me here is absolutely <laughs> where I'm supposed to be. Um, that my journey to becoming a paralegal supervisor started in my late 20s. I was working a job that I did not enjoy, making very little money <laughs> um, and didn't have a lot of fulfillment in my career. I lost my uncle to cancer um and he was only 54 and that experience really gave me perspective on how short life is 
and really made me evaluate what I was doing with eight hours of every day and, you know, really made me see that I wanted a change, that I wanted to pursue something different. Um, I've always loved the law. I've always been interested in it. And at that time in my life, you know, law school wasn't really an option. I had never gone to college, so I had no college education in my late 20s. Um, My funds were very limited. (laughs) You know, we were on a strict budget. So law school just seemed too big. But I enrolled in our community college paralegal program. And from my first class, I fell in love with it. (laughs) I didn't really know a lot about paralegal career before, like a week before I enrolled in in college. Um, And just from the the very first intro class, I knew like, okay, this is what I want to do. I don't want to be an attorney. (laughs) I want to be a paralegal. Um, I want this opportunity to work in the law, but more behind the scenes, like get into the weeds of stuff and take this giant mess and sort it out and kind of you know, dig through evidence and find the information and just really, you know, fell in love with the career and and knew that it was the career for me. Uh, Oddly enough, my ultimate goal when I went to paralegal school um, and shortly after graduating was to work in criminal prosecution. And I, uh, (laughs) I thought that this was the way I was going to contribute to society and make the world better. I um, worked a few years in civil litigation and then got a job at the U.S. Attorney's Office doing federal criminal prosecution. And I was so excited. I remember thinking, like, I am going to get this opportunity to take down the next Bernie Madoff and, you know, to, (laughs) to work on these, like, cases and make my world better and make community safer and, you know, go after the bad guys. Um, And I did have a lot of opportunities. Um, I worked on really large, complex cases, fraud cases, uh, drug cases, gun cases. I got to assist at trial, which I loved being (laughs) a part of trial and uh, all of the chaos that that involved. I was eventually promoted to supervisor and I had opportunities to train other paralegals, to train attorneys and even train like FBI agents (laughs) on discovery matters. I just had a lot of opportunity and I loved the work, the technical aspect, the the process. Um, But being in criminal prosecution for five years I started to see the inequality. I saw the injustice. I saw the racism that was built into the system. And, you know, these aren't acts by one or two people. You know, it wasn't like one or two bad attorneys or one bad judge or anything like that. Um, But just the, the systemic issues that are disproportionately affecting black and brown communities. And I started to see those. I saw the culture that just idolized convictions in in the criminal prosecution space. And, 
you know, the more indictments we had, the more convictions elevated our status in the law enforcement community. And it fueled that need to indict more, to charge more bigger, splashier headlines. I started reading about the individuals who were being charged with crimes. And I just really saw how the system failed these people. And I just felt like if if as a society we could have intervened earlier, we could have changed the course of their life and we could have made a difference. So seeing the humanity in the defendants that we were prosecuting was one aspect. And so I really struggled to reconcile these systemic issues uh, with my heart and my internal desire for equality and justice for everyone. And it it started to eat at me. I, I advocated where I could. I spoke up where I could, but I knew that I couldn't change the system. You know, as a paralegal, I was not deciding who we charged, what crimes we went after. So there was only so much I could do. And like I said, I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed being a paralegal, but the um, but seeing the system from the inside, I knew that I couldn't do it. And it just wasn't something that I, I wanted to pursue anymore. And I found this opening as a paralegal supervisor at the ACLU NorCal and just took a chance <laughs> and applied. And I am here now. And I love the work I do. I am so grateful to be here. I love the people I work with. And, you know, my path to get here was a little unconventional, but I just feel really incredibly lucky to be here. Um, So to answer your question, absolutely. I feel like I'm in the right place at this point in my career path. Yeah, I think that is actually quite interesting, Um, especially... You know, when I took my courses in uh, paralegal program, I just knew that even when I was, you know, we did have like a criminal justice course and I took it. I just know that my heart is sort of made of tofu and I don't (laughs) think I could do it. And it's something that is like with the head and not with the heart in that sense, because otherwise I think that I just don't know that how, how I would reconcile it. Yeah. So for that, you know, I just decided to do civil litigation, patent law. And, you know, so it's really just dealing with technology for the most part. And but I knew that I, I'm really, really impressed with um, and also really glad that someone like you that is really so strong and passionate about the basically provided you know raising equality promoting equality justice so thank you for doing that I really do appreciate it on behalf of this society do you think that you could want to share it with the audience how we actually met because we sort of not have anything in common (laughs) (laughs) true our paths crossed i think because of fate or whatever you want to say um serendipity (laughs) serendipity uh we connected on linkedin somehow and i i think you might have messaged me or maybe i messaged you i i can't even remember now i'd have to go back and look um 
but we found each other on LinkedIn, uh, both paralegals, you know, I'm sure our networks kind of intersect at some point. Um, but you and I connected and you shared with me this opportunity that you were creating this new opportunity in your um, business that was uh, going to focus on training and specifically blue book training. And I was like, Oh yes. I had been looking. (laughs) I was like, what? I had been, you know, looking for a blue book training, uh, for my team for a very long time and, and couldn't find anything that was, you know, comprehensive or reasonably priced, uh, and, you know, allowed for my team to like learn these basics of blue booking that I felt would be, you know, really vital for their career. And so you shared this with me and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, (laughs) this feels like an answer to what I've been looking for. Um, and you and I had like an initial meeting, I think where we just got to know each other. You shared your vision with me. Uh, we shared our paths to where we're at right now and yeah, just hit it off and have become friends and kept in touch over the months. And, uh, yeah, one of those things that like, like you said, serendipitous, yeah, (laughs) just (laughs) we're two different worlds, two different areas of law, um, different sides of the country, (laughs) just California, I mean, Northern Virginia. Right. Nothing should have brought us together, but uh, LinkedIn. (laughs) LinkedIn And site checking. Yes. You know, now here we are, you know, because you had podcasts because you have another like passion that you want to want to launch. And yeah, it's been it's been great getting to know you. So, (laughs) yeah, it's really been very interesting because. When I first started the podcast, I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, how am I going to find people to talk? Well, I have over 65 people now. And we only release every two weeks, you know, um, because I do have a core business. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to do some filing from time to time. And um, so a lot of it is like the team has grown a lot and I really there's a lot of lessons learned for me. So needless to say, every day is a lessons learned. <laughs> sometimes yes. I do well, sometimes not so great. But I think that one of the things that I wanted to kind of like, I'm going to get to the next question, but I before I do that, I was like, I've learned how to basically, when I'm in a funk, I used to just keep pushing. Mm-hmm myself and others and then until I get I annoy myself and I annoy others <laughs> no it's like you know I just like I've gotten myself like I told you earlier that I'm sort of in a low energy week this week yeah and it's it's not like me and people are noticing mm. and so I was like I'm going to take the time off instead of me pushing myself. So I've kind of decided that I need to have some balance, mental, physical, you know, everything. So I went out and like to do my meditation and I did uh, yoga. I found out that 
Well, I really, I did vinyasa, but I was only able to do like half an hour because I haven't done it for a long time. So now it's like, you know what is really funny? In the old days, I was so such a people pleaser. And I'm a work in progress, by the way. And some days I could do better and others not so well. So it was really interesting. So when I went to my yoga class this morning, and it's a vinyasa. So it was actually much faster paced than I could actually handle. So we had about 20 people in there. I'm on mat 20. So right behind like third, like 30 minutes, I just, and it was heated. It was like 80 degrees in there. Oh, wow. like, I don't think I liked it so much. In the old days, I would have been so self-conscious about like, and I'll just try to keep it up and everything. And this time, you know what I did? I was like, Ah, half an hour. I don't think I like this heat. I'm going to just get up my water bottle still in there. I just went out and went to the other room and did meditation by myself. Nice. And at the end of it, I went back to the instructor and said, um, I just want to make sure that you know that I'm not dead. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm checking in. Be here tomorrow for you know for the for the other workshop, but I think that I, she, I just wanted to. Um, she was like, "Yeah, I don't know exactly where you went." I said, "I just decided that this is not for me. I'm gonna go to the other room and do what works for me." Awesome! I would have never done that before because I would be so self conscious about what the other nineteen people think of me. Yeah. So I thought that that was something I really wanted to share with you. That's amazing. I love that. Just, yeah, with experience, you learn, hopefully we learn like what's best for us and not, not to be so concerned with caring what other people think. Yeah. Oh, good for you. Sometimes I was like, Claude. Yes, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I love hearing that. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, that, that's not the Ashley that I know, you know? But I was really proud of myself. First, know my limit. I try, even though it's like, so I was downward dog. I was doing all kinds of the warrior pose and everything. Up to 30 minutes, 80 degree. I'm like, nope, not for me. Gotta go. Good for you. Tell us about your typical day at the ACLU NorCal. And what do you do to help promote also justice without divulging any confidential information, of course? <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. My days at uh, the ACLU NorCal can vary quite a bit. I wear a few different hats in my role um, as a paralegal and also as a supervisor. A lot of my work is more behind the scenes and I, right now, a large portion of what I'm doing is mentoring and training our legal policy professionals. We have a group of individuals who are just phenomenal and brilliant and smart and talented and kind, incredible people. And they are mostly early in their legal careers. We have kind of a mix of those who are planning to get some experience before jumping onto law school or grad school. Then we have individuals who are wanting to pursue like a career paralegal 
role and I am lucky enough and I get the opportunity to help mentor and train these individuals. And in my role, I will do trainings on like filing basics, you know, like the the legal 101 stuff, you know, calendaring, how to file in state court, how to file in federal court, uh, you know, site checking, finding applicable rules to what you're filing. We will, when someone has their first filing, uh, I'll walk through it with them and kind of go through all the steps that I would do to make sure it's finalized, the proofreading, uh, checking the factual and legal sources, uh, tabling, (laughs) everyone's favorite topic, tabling, Um, you know, doing drafting declarations, discovery issues, you know, digging through the evidence or just like responding to discovery, propounding discovery, those kind of things. Um, And so I get a lot of my role is helping other people in their social justice career, which is very rewarding for me. And I feel like I get to have my hands in a lot of different aspects of our work because I mentor a broad group of people. And uh, so that's really a big part of my, a part of my role right now. We really prioritize communication and have a lot of meetings at our org. And I will check in with my direct reports, make sure they have the tools and the sources, the resources they need. We will troubleshoot like whether it's work issues, personnel issues, you know, I help them kind of guide them through their day or week or a project um, and just keep in communication with them. And also I communicate with the attorneys that I work for, the other kind of aspect of my role is a more traditional paralegal capacity. So I'm assisting with litigation, whether it's, you know, finalizing briefs or drafting a declaration after analyzing some evidence or some materials, uh, building relationships with our clients, getting to kind of communicate with them, build that trust, get information from them, establish that relationship and, you know, really just letting our clients know that we are there for them, that we are going to fight the system with them and, uh, you know, getting that opportunity to work on litigation, especially in the criminal justice realm is one of the ways that I get to promote social justice in my role, um, as well as like advocacy matters on I don't have as much in the advocacy realm, but our team does and getting to see the like amazing work (laughs) that our advocacy team does and being a part of that as well is like a typical, you know, my day, I guess there's no typical day, but those are some of the the areas that I'm focusing on right now and what I get to do in my role. As a supervisor, what do you find as most challenging in supervising or leading your team? Setting a good example. Um, And Mm. I think as you touched on knowing your limits, uh, one thing I've been really working on the last couple of years is a real work-life balance. And like you, I will push myself. I expect way too much (laughs) of myself. Um, I want people to be pleased with the work I do. I want to help people. I, 
you know, want them to know that they can count on me and rely on me. And those are great qualities, but it can be a lot if you try and take on everything. And so one of the things I'm really intentional about is uh, setting that example for my team of work-life balance, you know, not working overtime unless it's absolutely necessary, you know, kind of setting the the pace that they can set their agenda for the day that, you know, that an immediate response isn't always necessary. Some of those like self-care practices and uh, being able to like make sure I'm taking breaks and not responding. Personal and professional boundaries. Yeah. And I think really I've tried to model that for my team and help them as well. Like I said, a lot of them are new in their career and very eager and just want to give all of themselves to the organization and to the, you know, social justice and like helping them just really invest in themselves, whether it's taking that personal time, doing professional development, <laughs> you know, things that that feed them and fuel them, making sure that I'm modeling that um, so that they can have long careers and not face burnout, <laughs> you know, and and really enjoy the work they do. So a funny story that I wanted to share with you. I have a um, couple of young women on the mm-hmm. team. One is 19, one is 21. And both very intelligent, talented. One is more on uh, the artistic side and the other one's more on the coding side. Now, <laughs> coming up as a recovering workaholic for me, I have to really... Like, my boundary is really, well, I, I had no boundaries before. <laughs> so I'm like clawing my way back into like having a reasonable boundary. So, so far it was going okay. I think like the last year had made a lot of very good um, progress. Now, I had, I was working on a project with the 19-year-old and Basically, the process that we go is that I'll do a script because we did like animations and stuff like that. So I'll do a script and then we'll go over and say, can you do an illustration? And then we just kind of go back and forth. So why is it like this? Because we're drawing the animals and things like that. And then we just have like this feedback process. And then after that, I was like, do you think that you could turn it into a whiteboard storytelling? Sure, she's very quiet. And I just adore her because she's so, like, at the beginning, I thought that she is shy and not confident, but she's also very stubborn, just like me. (laughs) So I've met my match. (laughs) I'm like talking to my younger self, basically, right? It's like, oh, wow, I do have that influence on my younger self then. Yeah. And anyway, she finished, she finished, I've noticed the pattern, pattern recognition is very important. So I noticed like what would actually motivate her and when not to push a certain button. And she finished the project and she's in Texas right now. So Texas, basically with the ice rain and all this thing, and they were like without power for like several days. So of course she didn't tell me. (laughs) But thank God she finished the project before, right? Yeah. So 
Otherwise, I don't think she would have told me, even though I I would have tried to make sure that, you know, in my own ways, I'll try to make sure she's okay. Anyway, she finished the project. We did the, um, we did the um, event, sort of like discussion, and, and, and I just, <laughs> I added another element. I was like, can you please do voiceover of the characters? The reason being, and I had this uh, this particular um, issue before. It was that I didn't like my voice so much. Mm-hmm. And it's that mindset. Your confidence comes from so many different things. It made up, if your mindset do not change, there's no way that you will get comfortable when you come out to work. So that's why I think that sometimes people... Um, they are shy, but it could have been that the narrative is kind of flawed and it's not based on reality. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, let me go ahead and give her this assignment to do a voiceover. And I knew that she could do it right because she has a nice voice. She's just not very confident. Mm-hmm. So we did a practice before I turned the assignment back to her. So on Tuesday, she gave me the assignment and it was hilarious in a sense that I was just like, I, I told you I have a low energy week, totally made my eye week, right? She did actually really well. I should not be surprised, but she pushed through. I mean, I've known her for two two years, worked with her for two years. She pushed through, and I asked her, do you know why I asked you to do this? So I explained to her. I asked her her rationale of what she I thought she thought that I was asking her to do, and then I explained to her what the reasoning was. And when she finished, and I'm like, okay, well, you did an amazing job. I'm really impressed. Then she said to me, do you think I could ask for a week off? <laughs> My brain is kind of right. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know what to say. And I was like, request granted. <laughs> <laughs> right? But then I was like, you know, I should really learn this from you. Mm. Because she knows how to protect her mental wellness. She knows. Yeah. She was like, I just need to draw. I said, go ahead and take your time. And then her mom tells me about like, what's happening with tech in Texas and stuff like that. So they were without power for like 36 hours. Wow. And I was like, if we didn't have this, would she tell me <laughs> that something like this would happen? So sometimes I like like you in terms of influencing people, I think that's very important in terms of um in our own way, we have some influence in helping to shape the younger generation. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably what drives you. <laughs> well, I'm just being presumptuous, but I suspect that might be <laughs> has something to do with it. Yes. Now, to wrap it up, what are some of the key lessons learned that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, that's a great a great question. I. I think there are a million <laughs> things that I could share and I know you could as well. Um, but I think there's there's two things that stand out to me and 
I think they go well with like what we've been talking about, but the first one is don't let imposter syndrome stop you from taking a chance. I, this is an area I really struggle with. I am not as educated as other paralegals. I haven't been working in the social justice space as long as some of my colleagues, um, even looking at the other people that I see on your list of who you're going to interview for this podcast is intimidating to me and feeling like I don't have a place here. I don't have a voice here. Um, but silencing that inner critic and doing it anyways <laughs> is so important and can be really rewarding. And it allows us to grow and, you know, get out of our comfort zone and expand what we're capable of. And I know that if my friend came to me and said these things that I say to myself, I would shut them down. Like, what? No, like, here's all the amazing things you can contribute. Here's how you are, you know, doing well and what you can add to the conversation. And so just being kinder to ourselves and and not letting imposter syndrome stop us. And I think the other thing that I have learned is listening to my gut. And there are going to be times, I think, in all of our professional career, our personal life, when we know it's time to move on from something and you know you're not in the right place anymore or you know you want to do something different, it can be terrifying, <laughs> you know, leaving the comfort of a stable job um, or the known can be very scary, but taking that chance, being afraid and doing it anyways is going to be rewarding. Um, I think when you know it's time to move on, don't let fear stop you. Take that chance, apply for that job, you know, take that course, change your career path, launch a business <laughs> like you did, you know, whatever it is that's speaking to you, trust your gut and, and go with it. And Every time I've listened to my gut, even if it didn't turn out exactly <laughs> like I thought it would, um, I've been glad that I took the chance and glad that I took the opportunity. And I am where I am today because I listened to my gut when it was screaming at me at times. Um, but just knowing knowing that voice and uh, yeah, being able to take a chance and and do what you know is right and what's right for you. So I think those are just a couple lessons <laughs> that I would share with our audience. Well, the first thing that I wanted to say is that I'm very meticulous about who I choose to um, be on my podcast interview list. And it's growing. At the beginning, it's like I'm surrounded by a lot of highly educated, very accomplished. And this podcast, I wanted to have it as a sort of a women empowerment theme. Now, I don't know, maybe a couple of years down the road, maybe we'll interview like, you know, some men. But right now, I just want to give women a platform and have some voice. Mm -hmm. And because I don't have to answer to that many people, I could do it. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So I think that that imposter syndrome is, that you talk about 
is so real. I mean, first thing I want to say is that when I was listening to you and talking about that, you did not feel that um, you're highly educated, so you don't belong. Maybe you don't you don't think you belong. So here's the thing that Brene Brown does talk about is that if you look for um, if you look for you know belonging, if you don't think that you belong, you will always find find that. So don't even go into that assumption. Easier said than done. I struggle with that <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Um, because the space that I'm in is really highly educated. Yeah. Like most of the people as a paralegal, I'm high, highly educated. I have a master's degree. Yeah. But I'm, I'm in the space of PhD. The people are like rocket scientists, <laughs> you know? So sometimes it's like, you know, I have a liberal art degree. Sometimes I'm like, how did I actually communicate with these people? Because they're like biochemistry, biochemists, you know, pharmacists, you know, people that are like really hardcore science. Yeah. And electrical engineers and stuff like that. But you know what? At the end of the day, they are people. Mm-hmm. So though, I think that one of the things that I learned from the podcast is that we all have our own everybody has their own issue and sometimes this is why I wanted to be very specific about virtual water cooler chat is a chat not an interview mm-hmm. because I do not want to intimidate people <laughs> you know and also one of the things that I really like and I don't know who the source is is that to say that is that sometimes when you go and pull other people's opinion, maybe not not just you. I tend to do that a lot, and I mm-hmm. I am much more intentional about not doing that as much now. Mm-hmm. Is that I want the opinion of myself count more than others, so I don't want to outsource yeah. that anymore. That might actually help address that imposter syndrome. You just have to, I mean, especially if you're growing up, not having people really encouraging you to say that um, you are great. You have like have people believe in you. Like some of the people that were in the, the criminal justice system that did not have a fair chance. They didn't have a level playing field. And so how do they, and I've seen some people, I've had some friends that were not like gangs, but they were coming up from an inner city upbringing. And one of my classmates, when I was studying um, Chinese literature, one of my classmates was actually, um, I think he's from inner city. And he, he became a Rose Scholar. Wow. Fulbright, Rose Scholar, went to Oxford, went to like Harvard and all this thing. Those are like the stories that we do not hear as much. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that there's a place for everyone. Yeah. And sometimes we just have to be brave in going out to basically try it out. You know, if it doesn't work. Well, maybe we'll just figure out another way. Sometimes it takes like 
three, four, you know, whatever, however many times. But I think that we just have to have a resiliency to help and also support other each other, despite the various socioeconomic, cultural, or educational background. Yes, I agree with everything and love what you shared. So, Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And very glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh.